If you want to find your way back to your seat, we'll get going. It's already almost 20 after, so we're going to have to really fly. So this morning we're going to speak about the tenderness of God. Um, so last week we spoke about His uh, power, and uh, just important to note that these aren't opposites. We're not swinging from one end of the pendulum to the other when we talk about His tenderness, but the tenderness of God is actually fueled by that unchecked, limitless power that we talked about uh, last week. So keep His almighty power still on the table. It's still in the equation. And, uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the tenderness of God. So last week, if you remember, if you were here, I gave that, that picture of when we start to understand God's power. Uh, it's like Him moving from a small, insignificant star way off that has no effect on our life, to up close as the great and glorious Son. And the truth is that some of us can see His greatness and see His gloriousness, if that's a word, but, but not feel His warmth. So it's like we see the sun, but it's more like the middle of January than the middle of July. Okay, And so this morning, we're going to look at His tenderness and hopefully feel that warmth of God's heart Towards us. So if you want to open, if you've got your Bible, you can open to Isaiah 49. <clears throat> and uh, the nice thing about the way the Lord works is that my sermon's already been preached, but I'll preach it again. Gary and Jody and the whole worship in general kind of said everything that I'm going to say, but uh, we'll look at Isaiah 49 here, starting in uh, verse 13, and uh, hopefully the Lord uh, confirms some things that he may have been speaking to you during worship. So Isaiah 49, starting in chapter 13, it says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord responds, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Father, we thank you for how great you are and how almighty you are and your great limitless, unchecked, unrestrained power that you have towards us. And we also praise you that you are so tender and so compassionate that you're not just high and mighty, uh, but you uh, come to us and you want a, a deep relationship with us and you have such a great heart towards your children. And we just pray you, praise you for that and we just pray that you would help us to see that clearly uh, this morning uh, by the power of your spirit and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Okay, so with our portion of Scripture this morning, uh, the tenderness of God with His children is on full display. And in verse 13, Isaiah begins with the result of God's tenderness, which is singing for joy. And then he goes from there and shows 
why we can sing for joy. So he starts with the result and works down from there. But I think it would be best this morning if we start on the bottom and we're going to work our way up to the result. Okay? <clears throat> so, that's where we're going to start this morning. And Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> and so, we're going to begin uh, with the... Yeah, I lost a page. There we go. Sorry. It threw me off. Uh, so, we have three characteristics of God shown in these verses that I have grouped under the title, under the banner of God's tenderness. And so we have His empathy toward us in our weakness. We have His compassion for us in our disobedience. And we have His comfort for us in our troubles. And then right in the middle in verse 14, we see the state of His children, of God's people. And that's what the Lord speaks into. So, first we'll look at verse 14. Uh, which is the state of his children where it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And I think most of us can relate to that feeling uh, at least once or twice, if not many times more in our lives, uh, where God feels very distant and we feel very alone and it feels like God has moved on to deal with bigger and better things and has just left us in the dark. And so... This morning, uh, if you're a Christian and if you trust in Jesus' work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins uh, and you feel this way, I just pray that these words wash over your mind and, you, and your heart and you are greatly encouraged by what we're going to look at this morning. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, uh, God wants to show you this morning who he is and his great heart for you, and he wants you to run into this great tenderness for you. So this morning, these words apply to all. Uh, for some of us, they are a great reminder of the truth of God's uh, compassion towards us, and for others, they are an invitation uh, to come into that great compassion for you. <clears throat> so the feeling in our heart, in the midst of our struggles and our pain, no matter what they may be, the Lord has forsaken me. The wave kind of crashing down on us is the Lord has forgotten me. And God responds with these three things. And we'll start uh, with verse 15. It says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And so God has a never-fading empathy for us in our weakness. So he starts, he puts forth an ultimate picture, which is the bond between a woman and her child, which none of us would really argue that there's not much stronger uh, of a bond that we see here on earth between a woman and her baby. And then he says, even that can break down, yet I will not forget you. Even a woman, even a mother may forget her child, yet I will not forget you. So even though that ultimate bond that we know can break down, God's bond with his children is even greater. And to show you this, 
he says that he has engraved your name on his hands. And so we talked last week about those almighty hands holding up the universe. And as he's holding up the universe and sustaining the universe, your name is engraved on the palm of his hands continually before him. So he's holding up the universe and he's got Trevor written there and he's got Emma written there and he's got Lee written there tattooed on the palm of his hands. Okay? He's like the biker dad that has the big list of his children <laughs> on his arm. <clears throat> A constant reminder that you are his child. But don't skip over that last line that we read where he says your walls are continually before me. Jerusalem's walls at that, sta- at that point were a pile of rubble and they were broken down and destroyed. And so God is saying that <clears throat> your torn down walls, your rubble, your weaknesses are continually before him. Psalm 103.14 says that God knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He made us. He knows the weaknesses of our body. He formed your mind. He knows your emotions. He knows you from the inside out. He knows the depths of who you are. Nobody knows you like the one who created you. But he empathizes with us not just by knowing us, but by not just by knowing the human experience, but by entering into the human experience uh, through his son, Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to earth and because he lived this life as we lived, that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and there's no temptation that we face that he has not faced and conquered. And so he understands our struggles. He knows what it feels like to be an outcast. He knows ridicule and loneliness. He knows the pain of the death of a friend. He knows what it's like for those closest to you to betray your trust, to turn their back on you or be too embarrassed to even say that they know you. He knows physical pain to a level that most of us will never experience in our life. And he knows shame, and he knows doubt and guilt, and all other things, fear, as the sins of the entire world were laid on him. So he knows what it's like to have your walls laying in a pile of rubble in front of you. He knows who you are. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. And he does not forget you. And so the first truth that God wants to establish in your heart this morning is that he has a never-fading empathy toward you in your weakness. And so often we feel for someone, but with time it fades away. But that's not the case with God. He has engraved your name on his hand and your walls are continually before him. So never say he doesn't care because your walls that are torn down, your weaknesses are continually before him. The second truth that God wants to establish is that he has a great compassion for you in your disobedience and in your sin. If you go up to verse 13, the last line, he says he will have compassion on his afflicted. So not only does he not forget you, not only has he engraved your name on his hand, not only does he understand and sympathize with your weakness, 
but he extends great compassion toward you. And compassion is a deep sorrow for someone suffering accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. And Jesus' life is a parade of God's compassion on his creation. He steps down from the greatness in heaven and takes the name Jesus, Savior. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to give rest to the weary and heavy burdened, to give sight to the blind, to make the lame walk, to give freedom to those held in captivity. He cares for widows. He heals children. He casts demons out of people no one wanted to associate with. He touches lepers. He gives food to the hungry. When he sees his friends weeping at the death of Lazarus, he weeps as well, and then he raises him to life. God goes to great lengths to show his compassion to you, even to the point of sending his son to earth to die for your sins. That's my paraphrase of John 3.16. God's compassion towards, your children, towards his children is so great, it cannot be trumped by our deliberate disobedience. If you want to look in Hosea 11, or I can read it to you, since we're limited for time. Hosea 11. <clears throat> God pours out his heart here. If you, haven't, if you haven't seen God's heart yet this morning, I pray that you'd see it here. God's heart poured out for his people. Hosea 11, chapter, verse 8. And God speaks to his people, even though they've been ungrateful to the mercy that he's poured out on them. Uh, and they've turned their back on him and ran after other lesser things, he cries out to them and he says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim, which are two cities that were destroyed? And he says, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. When we as God's children run after other things, when we choose the things of this world over Him, and when we're ungrateful for all that He has done for us, which we do so often, the Bible tells us that His heart recoils inside of Him. It's turned over inside of Him. And his compassion grows warm and tender towards us. His great compassion for his children restrains him from destroying them. And he gives the reason, for I am God and not a man. And we need to stop thinking of our relationship with God in merely human terms. As God's children, our relationship with him is not a formality it's not just a legal relationship. He is not a cold, distant, harsh father who flies off the handle. He's a father whose heart is turned inside of him at our rebellion and whose compassion is warm and tender towards us in ways and lengths that we do not understand. Is he upset at our rebellion? Yes. He says in Hosea 11 that he has a burning anger towards it. <clears throat> but it is restrained because of his great compassion beautifully displayed in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
Oh, that we could see how great His compassion is towards us. In Isaiah 42, He says, A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not quench. So if you're in Christ this morning and you feel like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick and you think that God's just going to walk by and snuff you out, He's not going to do it. His heart for you is to pour oil in the lamp and gently blow and get that smoldering wick back burning again. His heart is warm and tender towards you. If you're a bruised reed, don't try to conceal your wound, just bring it all before Him. Never fear to run to God. He doesn't want to break you off. He wants you to see the greatness of His compassion for you. So let this truth be established in your heart. God has a warm and tender compassion towards you even when you run from Him and are ungrateful for all that He has done for you. <clears throat> and on the on the topic of God's compassion, I just want to speak to the dads for a second even though it's Mother's Day, we'll honor Mother's Day by speaking to the dads for a second. Psalm 103, it says as a father has compassion on his child, so he has compassion on those who fear him. And when we read that as dads, the question should come to us, and it, it comes to me as well, as a father of four, am I showing compassion to my child in such a way that when they read Psalm 103, they actually understand the verse? Is the way I am treating my son, my daughter, a reflection or a distortion of the way God treats me in His great compassion? So if you're a dad and you haven't been overly involved in your child's life or you're cold and distant or you've got a bad temper and you fly off the handle, I just want to encourage you this morning to show compassion to your children. Hug them, encourage them, put your arm around them, tell them you love them. If they're 13, they'll squirm and that's fine. But whatever you do, don't quench their smoldering wick. When we first had Nathaniel, I heard John Piper say that you need to be God to your child until he knows that you're not. <clears throat> and that's uh, always been in the back of my mind as I've been fathering our, ch- our children. And so, are you being God's compassion to your child? May we as fathers reflect God's compassion to our children so that when they read Psalm 103, that's a God that they want to run to and not run from. So, God has a great compassion for us that is warm and tender. And we go up another line in Isaiah 49, and it says that the Lord has comforted His people, and so God has a great comfort for us in our troubles. He never forgets you. He identifies with your weaknesses. He comes down and extends great compassion to you despite your waywardness, and He comforts His people 
he soothes, he encourages, he cheers up his children. Psalm 103 said that, with, that he has compassion like a father. And Isaiah 66, he says, one, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And we've got four kids. Nobody can comfort a distressed child like their mother. I've gotten better the fourth time around. I'm still not as good as Karen was the first time around. <laughs> it's just how it works. And when the children cry, I want mommy, when it, when it gets stretched out like that, you know it's serious. <clears throat> I tend to come and I question, I don't cuddle. At least that's my first reaction. And so what happened, who was hurt, who was involved, and Karen will often just look over and say, just scoop them up, just cuddle them, just comfort them. And that is God's way as well. So how are we comforted by God? There's five things I see in the Bible which are God's way of picking us up and shushing us on his shoulder. Okay? So he comforts us with his steadfast love. Let your steadfast love comfort me. Psalm 119.76 He comforts us with his security and discipline. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23. He comforts us with his promises. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promises give me life. Psalm 119.50. He comforts us with his Holy Spirit. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 9.31 And He comforts us with His church. 2 Corinthians 7, 5-6 says, Paul is talking and he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he comforts us with his steadfast love, believe it. He comforts us with his security and discipline, place yourself under it. He comforts us with his promises, read them often. He comforts us with his Holy Spirit, be filled with it. And he comforts us with his church, get plugged into one. Open up, serve, build relationships, build community. And when you're going through your affliction with fighting without and fears within, God can comfort you by sending someone to comfort you. And when we feel comforted, we feel understood, we feel calmed, stress, le stress leaves, worries lift, <clears throat> our problems now belong to that all-powerful God that we talked about last week. And we can run in and find shelter under Him. And so what does that lead to? What does God's empathy for us in our weakness and His compassion for us and His comfort for us lead to? It's what Isaiah started with and it's what we end with 
sing for joy, <clears throat> O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. There is great, great joy in the comfort and the compassion and the empathy that God has for His children. And it's not just your joy. God's tenderness towards His people is so marvelous that even the mountains rise up in deep baritone voices and sing His praise and sing for joy. David says in Psalm 63, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. <clears throat> and then it doesn't stop there with just us singing for joy, but it leads to other things. <clears throat> we don't just bask in the warmth of God's tenderness towards us, but the joy of being in the shadow of his wings compels us. It's meant to drive us forward. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what, is your, what do you need that strength for? <clears throat> the joy you get from his comfort and compassion towards you gives you the strength to carry out the work that God has called you to do. And what has he called you to do? He has called you to be an empathetic, compassionate, comforting people. <clears throat> so, may we be an empathetic people because we have such an empathetic God. <clears throat> Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. May no one in this church go through something alone. May we not see someone's struggles and afflictions and pain and weakness and not feel for that person. And may their walls not continually be before us. The early church was marked by this. They are of one heart and one mind. And we may not have the same heart for what they're going through, but may we have the same heart for them as a person. And God's compassion towards us enables us to be a compassionate people. May we not try to break the bruised reed and quench the smoldering wick. But as Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of my favorite quotes is from Richard Sibbs, 16th century Puritan guy. I'm getting right into Bart's world here. <clears throat> but just listen to this, okay? Just listen to this quote. We must not be too curious to pry into the weaknesses of others. We should, we should labor, rather, to see what they have that is for eternity, to incline our hearts to love than into the weaknesses which the Spirit of God will in time consume. Some think it strength of grace to endure nothing in the weaker, whereas the strongest are readiest to bear with the infirmities of the weak. And I pray that we would be a very strong church that looks not at the person's weaknesses and doesn't focus on the things which the Spirit of God will in time consume. <clears throat> and God's comfort enables us to be a comforting people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves 
are comforted by God. So because of God's great comfort to us, we can comfort people, and it says, in any situation. You don't need to be an expert on a particular disease. You don't need to have gone through their same struggle. You've been comforted by God, and Paul says that has enabled you to comfort those around us. So if we grasp the greatness of God's tender care toward His children, if we don't just see Him as great and glorious, but as warm and tender and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who does not deal with us according to our iniquities, a God who sings over us and quiets us in His love, a God who goes out of His way to liberate and heal and restore. If that's the God we live under, what a joy should be in our hearts and how tender we should be to those around us if we have such a great and tender God. Those who are afflicted, those who have sorrow, those with doubt or fear, those who are burned out or depressed, those who have troubles with work or family or health, may their broken walls be continually before us and may we weep with those who are weeping. May we have compassion towards them and may we be a church that is able to comfort those in any affliction because we've experienced the great comfort of a great God. Father, we thank you that you are so great and you are so tender towards us. We thank you that even when we turn our back on that great tenderness, it grows even warmer and even more tender towards us, that your heart longs for your children uh, to live in the shadow of your wings because that's the only place that we find true joy. And we just pray that as we experience those things of your great tenderness towards us, that we would, our hearts would just overflow with that joy and we would sing with the mountains of how great you are in your compassion towards us. And may we be a very empathetic, compassionate, comforting people uh, to those around us. We just pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.